0: We are going to be continuing on in our series here on questions. Of course, questions are our key to understanding, but we've got to make sure that we, we do these in the right way. We're going to be over in John chapter 4. We're going to look at a particular story that um, it's kind of a fun story. What is interesting about this is that there are so many questions in this one chapter. And in this chapter, we have questions that are natural questions and questions that are spiritual questions, and we sometimes tr- see how people mix the two, and that's when we get into trouble, and we're going to take a look at that here this morning, John chapter 4, we're going to be over there, we saw some of the bad questions, bad questions have the distinctions of dissatisfaction of where I am, unthankful for the work done on my behalf, impatience to get somewhere. doubt, self-righteousness and a complaining tone. Of course, the example we used was somebody in the back seat on the trip saying, Are we there yet? Or somebody calling from the other room, Is dinner ready yet? How much longer? And these kind of bad questions, these questions that can irritate us and and get us a little tired of, of hearing them, they express a dissatisfaction of where I am. I'm just not happy with where I am. I just want to be somewhere else. They're unthankful for the work done on their behalf. They're not thankful for the person driving the car or the person who's making the dinner as they express this in this, this question. They're impatient to get somewhere. That's where we see these, these uh, distinctions made. Good, good questions contain these qualities. Faith, Patience, contentment, and thanksgiving. And we said, uh, as we looked at Daniel last week, it is the content of our questions and not our position that gets our questions answered. The content of our question. A lot of times we're Christians and we say, well, just because I'm a Christian, God should entertain my question. How many of you all have employees or people that are under you? Just because they're employed by your company, just because they're under you, does that mean you got to put up with their question? How many of you know you did that? Nah. These person to keep asking me these crazy questions. They're just not paying attention to the things that we we say. They're not paying attention to what I show them to do. It's, your position doesn't get you there. Just because you're a Christian doesn't put you in a place that your question gets recognized. Because otherwise there'd be a whole lot of questions, more questions that would be answered in the Word of God. In the book of Daniel, as we looked at last week, we saw it was the content of his question that got God's attention. And in chapter 9 and in chapter 10, as soon as the question was asked, the answer was sent. And we also learned that answers don't come if we don't ask questions. If you want to get questions from God as to what's going on, you gotta ask them, you've got to ask them in a way that God can hear them. You've got to have the faith, the patience, and so forth worked in. But let's take a look here at John chapter four. John chapter four, verse one. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. If we have that map ready, I'm going to pull that up here at the beginning. So he came to a city in Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son. And so what we're going to see here on this map, and just to give people an idea, because just sometimes in, in reading a story, we forget where things are. So down here, this blue area, this is Judea. Up over here, this orange area, this is the region known as Galilee. Whenever you hear that Jesus went to Galilee, this is where he went. Whenever you hear that Jesus is in Judea, this is where he is. Now, the person who taught me this way back when I was a teenager, and I have not forgotten to this day, is, you all remember this? You have Galilee in the north, you have Judea in the south, and some area in between. That, that has always helped me keep it straight where it is. Samaria is in the area that is in between. So if you look at this red line, this is where Jesus is following. I found a map that actually followed our chapter. He is going from the area of Jer- Jerusalem, and he's going to go up in the region of Galilee, He's going to stop right over here at Sychar. If you ever hear of people taking a path in the Bible where they wanted to go from Galilee to Jerusalem or Judea and did not want to pass through Samaria. See this little green line over here? That's the path they would take. They out, they go right on the outskirts of, of Samaria and they never have to go into it and they come back over into Judea once they are past it. That's one of the pathways that they they had. They didn't have quite as many roads back then as we have now, but this is where Jesus is at. This is the area where this is taking place. This is uh, Capernaum is right over here, over by the shore. So if everything Capernaum being over here on this part, it is not. It's over here on this this area, more on the east side of uh, Jerusalem. So sometimes visuals help us to to get to see that. I wanted to pull that up for you. It took me a little while to find a map that had everything on it that I wanted to find, and that one was, was it. Now, verse, um, where do we leave off at? I'll pick up verse 5 anyway. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called the near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, we're going to pull a little bit of wisdom out of here in chapter 6. It's not in your outline. If this is worthwhile for you, you can write it down. Verse 6, now Jacob's well was there. Theref- Jesus, therefore, being worried from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. How many of you have ever asked God the question, God, I am so tired, what should I do? Anybody ever asked God that question? Oh, I am so tired, what shall I do? Follow in the steps of Jesus. Are you ready? He rested. <laughs> Great wisdom right there. If you get tired... You don't need to change your confession. Sometimes you just need to sit down and rest. And it's okay to do that. Jesus just sat down at the well and rested. Hey, what he told his disciples, uh, you guys go in the city and get food. I'm going to stay here and rest. Now, they had just walked the same distance he did. Of course, they weren't ministering like he was ministering before. But he came there. He said, I'm tired. You guys go. So if you're tired, if you, if you need some rest, sit down and rest and let other people do some work. Tell this one to go and go get some food and this one to go and get some water. Things like that. Great wisdom right there from from Jesus. So a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, this is uh, along the lines of... Uh, a bit of a, it comes across anyway, as a bit of a racist thing. The Jewish people were racist against the Samaritans. They are somewhat related. What happens in the area of Samaria, and if you don't know the history, how many do not know the history of where Samaria came from? Okay, probably most people don't. What happened in Samaria was, uh, when the Jewish people were pulled out into captivity, some of them were left behind to take care of the land. Now the Jews that were pulled out of captivity made sure to maintain their uh, I don't know if there's, there's no better word I can think of for this their Jewishness. <laughs> so they made sure that they married within the Jewish family. so that the Jewish girls took Jewish boys and, and so forth, and so they continued to be Jews all the way on through. In the region of Samaria, what happened in Samaria was they left some of the people there, but they also took people from other lands and settled them in the Samaria. And the folks in Samaria decided not to work quite as hard at staying Jewish, and they intermarried with the folks that were there. God is not against intermarriage; He is against interreligion. <laughs> he he doesn't care whether you guys are the same color. He doesn't care if you come from the same uh, group. He doesn't care uh, if if one is uh, from East And the other one was from West Jepit. He does not care about any of that. What he cares about is that the person that you marry does not pull you away from the things of God. And that did happen with the Samaritans. The Jewish faith is not as pure in their region or with those who still identified as being Jewish. So the Jews are not necessarily establishing these things from a racist standpoint. Well, they are not of our race Therefore, we won't associate with them. What they see is that the the Samaritan people have allowed themselves to become unclean. They see them as unclean, so therefore they treat everything as unclean. The vessels that they use, they see them as unclean, and they won't share those vessels. It is not a racial thing. It is a religious purity or a ceremonial purity thing. That's how they were looking at it. Now, I think it went from there and probably became a lot more, shall we say, racist. And they uh, just hated Samaritans because they were Samaritans. And so the Samaritans responded and they hated Jews because they were Jews. So it probably mushroomed out into that, not saying that it did not. That was the foundation of it. That's where it had come from. And that's what, uh, what they were dealing with. But Jesus, he wants to get past all this sort of stuff. So he comes on in when he asks for a drink. What he's saying is, Not only am I asking you to get me some water, I am asking you to share your vessel with me. That can sometimes be blind to you. But that's what he's saying. He says, I don't mind drinking from the same vessel that you have just drunk from. I don't mind having water from the same vessel. Now this is what shocks her. How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me? Because if you ask a drink from me, you have to use my vessel. How is it that you, being a Jew, would do this? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. They don't want to become ceremonial unclean. And so they, they stay away from them. So how is this? She does not know who Jesus is. Jesus a Samaritan. Jesus has been ministering mostly in the area of Judea and Galilee. But he's passing through here in the region of Samaria. And the disciples are gone. And so he comes to this woman. And he asked for a drink. Now look at verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, this verse is so great. I love this verse. If you knew the gift of God and who it, and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you knew the gift of God and, and, not just one, if you knew the gift of God and Who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you would have known. You see, there's a whole lot of things out here, folks, in the area of the spiritual realm that if we knew, we could ask. If we knew. But we didn't know. Now, Miss Ethel does this on a regular basis, so she can probably cite you a whole bunch of them but other, other people sometimes we find out. The, the government has a whole lot of programs that are out there to help people in different places, but if you don't know, you can't ask. So one of the things that she'll do, you know, people call in, and, and she is familiar with a lot of these things, and she'll, she'll help them to get acquainted with what kind of things they can do. That's just one of the things that, that, uh, that she'll get to do in that, but to, to help them out with that because there's things out there to help you, but if you don't know that it's there, then you don't ask. There are things that God has available for us. But if I don't know, if I don't know to ask, then I can't receive it. Now, notice this too. In this, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked Him and He would have given you living water. He would have given... That means that even though she is a Samaritan, Jesus is telling her, there is something that is available for you, but you don't know that it exists. You don't know that it's available to you. You don't know that it's open for you to have. If you knew who I was, you would have asked me to give you a drink. You would have asked me to give you of this living water. And... He says, and he would have given you living water. There are things that God wants to give us, but we haven't asked. Now, go back to the story we looked at last time with with, uh, Daniel in chapter 9. God wants to tell people what he's going to do. Because as soon as Daniel asks, what happens now? The answer is sent. The answer is sitting there. The messenger might even be saying, I'm ready. Um, I'm, I'm ready to go. And Jesus might be saying, all we need is somebody to ask. Somebody to ask. When somebody sees that they can ask the question and ask the question, you're on. You go. And we're just waiting, just waiting, and waiting. And finally, Daniel asks the question and I can just imagine what's going on up in heaven. Here we go. Somebody asked the question. And so here it here it comes. Now make think back. Some of you some of you kids can think back to when you're in school now. And other you have to think back to when you were in school. How many of you sat in a classroom? My classrooms were about 35-40 people in each classroom. I don't know what your classrooms are. I know that was my classroom. 35-40 people were in a classroom. And the teacher would go over something. How many remember the teachers going over something and you being clueless as to what's going on? Anybody been there? And questions formulate inside of your being. Your mind begins to put together questions. Teach, And what you want to say is, Teacher, I do not understand. Can you explain this? But something hinders you. What if I'm the only one who doesn't understand this, I'll look stupid. And so then we don't ask. And we don't get the explanation. Why? Because I don't ask. The explanation available. The person to explain it is available. But we don't ask. Then all of a sudden, somebody in the class raises their hand and they ask your question. And you can sit back there, not like, I already knew that question, I already knew that answer. But please give it to us again. (laughs) And they give you the answer, and you get the benefit of hearing the answer and didn't have to ask the question. We got the benefit of getting the answers that Daniel asked. We got the benefit of getting the answers that the disciples asked. There's two stories we looked at last week, and there's a lot more stories where they come from. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you give me a drink you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Is there not an expectation that she would have asked? Can you not see that there's an expectation there? That they would have asked? It's kind of like if you were at work if you were working for a a company if you were working for an outfit family owned big corporation whatever it was And you walk in on that day and you say, today's my birthday. And the boss says, today's your birthday? Do you not know that we have a company policy? That every employee gets their birthday off? Paid vacation without counting on vacation time? No, I didn't know that. I've never worked for a company that did that. I've only worked for companies that just kind of acknowledge, oh, it's your birthday? Great, get out there and work. (laughs) That's the kind of companies I've worked for. But um, there are companies out there that that do that, I'm sure. But if you don't ask, you don't know. Now, good questions come from sound understanding. You've got to have the right understanding. Because of, I put this, uh, I think this is in your, your outline for blanks here, but Because of a lack of knowledge, a question is not asked, and thereby the answer is not given. we got a lack of a question and a lack of an answer. Now get this, I already said this to you, but I want you to get this down. The hindrance is not what God wants us to know, or what God is willing to say. But what we know to ask most things in our life are hindered because we don't know what to ask and we don't know how to ask it. the, the um, children of Israel asked a lot of questions wandering through the wilderness, but most of them were complaining dissatisfaction. We need to know how to get my question born of understanding, thereby filled with faith and expectation. Now, when he says, you would have asked the gift of God, John's the one who writes this, this book. John is the one who pens this. To the Jewish mind, the gift of God was one thing. Anybody want to take a guess? At, you at Just guess on the inside. You don't have to raise your hand. Take a guess on the inside what you think that to the Jewish people, what is the gift of God in their mind? And I will tell you, and you see if you agree with it. The gift of God to the Jewish mind is the law of Moses. That is the gift of God. The gift of God to John is what? Jesus. He came to fulfill the law. He is the gift of God. That's how John puts it. Remember John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He's the gift of God. That's how John looks at it. Verse 11. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Now, ignorance leads to a question that is very limited. It's a very limiting question. The answers that are given must fit in with the sphere of what I know and can accept. I've got a a certain sphere. The more I learn about the Bible, the more I learn about the Word, the more I learn about God, my sphere increases. You take that with anything in the natural. All of us have some kind of expertise, something that we know better than other people. Maybe not better than everyone, but we have some areas of expertise that we know better than a lot of people, better than most people. The more we broaden that expertise the more questions I can formulate, the more things that I can ask. But I have to have an understanding. She's asking this question out of absolutely zero understanding as to what Jesus has just said. And, well, we'll get to that here in a minute. She looks at Jesus and she says, I don't see that you have the tools to get what you say from the source that I know. I don't see that you have the tools to get what you say you're going to get from the source that I know. Therefore, I don't think you can deliver it. I don't think you can deliver on what you promise. This is is the limiting thing that she has done with this question. And we do the exact same thing with God. God sometimes has said things to us and then we put limits on it. Just like this woman has done. How can you do that? How can you give me living water? You don't have anything to draw the water from. In fact, if you were to elaborate on this, you were just asking me to. Think back in the Old Testament. Go back into the Genesis, I believe, chapter 15. And God comes to Abraham and he says to him, Rise and be blessed. How can you call me blessed when you have given me no offspring? He is limiting God. The blessing has to come how I understand it, how I can see it. And we limit God. There's a lot of times we put limiting things on on God. There's one reason that we tell you never believe God for a good report. You have just limited God. Don't believe God for a good report. Believe God for what he said. Healing. You start going out there, well, God, I'm going to the doctor today and I just believe for a good report. Well, now all God can do is is in this, this one little area here. And he would have to be able to cause a doctor to say something that maybe the doctor doesn't want to say. Don't do it. Don't put limits on. So then... A question, uh, there's a question that's gonna come down that has no ability to bring clarity to the topic discussed. Haven't we done that? How many times do we ask God questions about things that actually do not help out the, uh, the matter at all? Brings no clarity to it. There was a commercial that was on TV, a husband and wife, they were, they were watching. You might be able to relate to this. Maybe somebody in your household has done this. Husband and wife sitting down watching the movie. And um, as they're watching the movie, the uh, in this particular instance, the wife said to the husband, Oh, who is that? I don't know that char- new character just came in on the movie. Who is that? I don't know that character. And the husband says, I don't know him either. This is my first time watching the movie. Listen and probably tell us. And so uh, they begin to develop that. And, and then later on, the, the, the wife asks him another question and says, "Um, do do you think that he's going to, and says something he's going to do, I don't know, (laughs) this is my first time watching the movie, I'm trying to find out, and then later on she asks the third question Mm -hmm. about the movie, and so he says, I don't know, this is my first time watching the movie, I'm trying to find out. But they kept, see, there, we, sometimes we do this with God. We'll ask questions and either we are not prepared to hear the answer. We're not equipped to hear the answer. There's a, there's a lot of things that, uh, that can uh, mess with us on that, that can hinder us on that. If I were to go into a physics lab and ask a question that would require a physics answer, they would probably talk over my head because I didn't get into physics very much. But somebody who understood physics could not only ask a question, but also understand the answer and formulate another question based on it. We've got to get our understanding going on with this. So look at what Jesus says here. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Whoever drinks of this water, He's bringing her back to the, to the water. Look at what she did. He's bringing it back to the water. He, first off, he says, I would give you liver, living water. Verse 11 again, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. He didn't say the living water came from the well. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Does that have anything to do with what Jesus said? Does not. Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. If you go into this well and you pull water out, you will thirst again. How many of y'all know that? How many got thirsty yesterday? How many expect to get thirsty today? Probably going to get thirsty tomorrow. Yep. As you you know, we're, we're, we're going on a trip here today, heading out. And so I have come with the expectation of getting thirsty. And so we have a cooler with beverages in the cooler so that when... The inevitable happens, and we get thirsty. Here we go. Cause you pull over to some place out in the road, they charge you what two, three dollars for a for a drink. That's ridiculous. I don't want really to pay two or three dollars for a drink. Just reach in the back seat, play a quarter for it. Whoever drinks this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. Now, here's what Jesus is doing. He is talking about a spiritual principle. He used the natural principle of water and thirst to usher in a spiritual principle with which he is willing to teach this Samaritan woman. He's willing. Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Now he's making a statement. There's no limits on what he's making, not like what the woman did. Natural things have limitations that spiritual things do not. You can't put an application on what is natural that belongs to what is spiritual. You cannot put a natural limitation on what is spiritual on what is, or supernatural. You can't do it. So it's kind of like this. We all know that righteousness, there is a natural concept of righteousness and a spiritual concept of righteousness. If you got people and they're coming up on the news and on the news you see a mugshot of the guy that the news story is about. Mugshot comes up right there. What are you thinking? Bad dude. Bad dude. we got a mugshot. You only get a mugshot if you're guilty, right? <laughs> That's not right at all. But we, it gets our thinking that way. And so we begin to think this. Oh, he must have done something. He must have done, murdered, uh, robbed, uh, something he did that he has been arrested and we got this this mugshot up there of him. We're looking at righteousness in a natural sense. In a natural sense, we can have righteousness. In a natural sense, I can be a good person. I can be a bad person. That's the natural sense of righteousness. Someone might act rightly towards me. Someone might act wrongly towards me. That's There's a natural way of doing that. How many of y'all know when you had kids, when you, uh, if your kids are all grown, or when you were a kid, you all know that there were some times in the house that you were not in right standing with mom and dad. And it was based on what? What you did or didn't do. That's a natural thing. But there's a spiritual component of righteousness as well. The spiritual component is, regardless of what you have done, God looks upon you as being righteous based on what Jesus has done. So the righteousness of Jesus Christ, spiritual teaching, is put upon you. You don't earn, you didn't earn it, you don't deserve it, but it is put upon You. Now what happens with religion is we're trying to mix it. We're trying to mix what is natural and what is supernatural. So we take what is natural, natural righteousness, and I try and make that become the righteousness of God. And it can't be. It won't be that. Nor is the righteousness of God the same thing as natural righteousness. Now, I'll put it to you in, in this way. I think you told me that you were, you were a golfer. And, and I already know, without any for, going any further, you are a better golfer than me. I already know that. <laughs> but <laughs> Oh, I, can, I bet you I can. Now, in, in the golfing world, golf is a, uh, a very precise sport. I know that about it. There's a whole lot of stuff that uh, your your form, uh, how you Lamar Lamar's a golfer. There's just so much you have to work on and all that. In the natural, you spend a lot of time getting that form right. I know some guys they had the video cameras and they're they're watching the swing and all right. Well, you're you're not making contact at the right spot or you're it's not following through. Whatever it might be, I don't know all the I don't know all the terms. But whatever it is, there's, there's natural things that you can do to help that out. But what if, in the golfing world, you were able to take Tiger Woods' swing from his prime and superimpose it upon you? You're, you're going to take that one? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. See, that's the difference between supernatural and natural. Natural means I have to work this out, i got to get this thing going. Supernatural means this is superimposed upon you, and that is what the righteousness of God in Christ is. It is righteousness that is superimposed upon us. I didn't earn it. it, has nothing to do with me, it's Him. But it's superimposed upon me. That's that's supernatural righteousness. Natural righteousness is what you produce in this earth. Because we have been made supernatural righteousness of God, we should, according to the word, produce natural righteousness. But your natural righteousness production does not affect your supernatural placement. So, if we were able to supernaturally take Tiger Wood's swing in his prime, understand he's, he's not having such a good time of it right now, but in his prime, take that and put it down upon you, then would your natural be affected? It surely would. That's the concept of supernatural righteousness by superimposing the righteousness of God in Christ on us, it has an effect upon our natural production. But the natural production has nothing to do with the supernatural righteousness. So this is where people get into trouble. They take what is supernatural and try and mix it with what is natural. And this is what this woman is doing right here. And Jesus keeps trying to bring it on back. Now we're talking supernatural here. She keeps bringing it back into something natural. And that's not helping them out. So whoever drinks this water will thirst again. Jesus is trying to, I mean, it's pretty clear there, right? Isn't it? We're not talking about water from the well. And how many times has Jesus said this already? Twice? We've gone over this? So the wisdom that Jesus is giving here totally missed. Totally missed. She misses the the wisdom there. Aren't you glad that even though sometimes we can be thick-headed and not get it that god is still willing to talk with us and to share things with us so she's got a lack of understanding it's holding her back from asking the correct thing this what happens with a lot of us now how often do we try and understand spiritual principles through our current needs she is looking at the spiritual principle that jesus is teaching her and looking at her current needs i need water I need water every day she's coming in the middle part of the day things we're not really teaching so much in the story as we're just pulling this part out but you know that because of her coming at this part of the day it tells this tells you that she does not want to associate with the rest of the people in the town she wants to come up at a time when no one else is coming because the middle part of the day people don't go get their water it's hot they go in the morning get the water bring it on down we got the water for the day she says no I'll let all the other townspeople go she's not thought of too well there's other clues about that in the in the passage as well. But she comes in the middle part of the day, so she doesn't have to do that. So Jesus is talking about living water, never thirsting again. This is great. I won't have to come here and do this natural thing anymore. But Jesus is not talking natural. He's talking supernatural. She's, uh, she's not quite getting it. Now, that little, that little part in your outline has the asterisk there. I tried something different this time because I was trying to get this thing worded right and I just wasn't getting it worded right. So I said, I'll mark it and I'll come back to it later on. And I marked it, but I didn't come back to it later on. <laughs> so It kind of got left in there as a, as a part, but it should be something more along these, these lines. What we do or don't ask in response to what God speaks, wrote, or reveals to us. God has either spoken things to you, He has written things to you in His Word, or He has revealed truths to you What we do or don't ask in response, when I hear what God has said, when I hear what God has written, when I hear what God has revealed, it generates a question on me. What we do or don't ask in response to what God speaks, wrote, or reveals to us will speak much about our spiritual maturity. It will speak a whole lot about your spiritual maturity. Whether you hear the thing as it's intended or you hear it in another way. And it's also going to speak about what you will receive. So it should have been worded something more along those lines. Let's get to verse um, 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may, I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. So, third time, she is still trying to take this supernatural truth and apply it here. This would be the same thing as people who want to say Give me this supernatural righteousness that I no longer have to produce righteousness. I can live any way I want to. That's not what the Bible teaches. Give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Now, this is an extremely selfish statement. Extremely selfish. But look at this. Jesus is still in the game. Don't raise your hand. How many of you ever can say that you have been selfish with God? (laughs) And he's still going to be patient with you. Just like he is patient with this woman, he is still continuing on with this woman, even though that is such a selfish question. Give me this water. I don't care about anybody else getting it. Give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. I won't have to come here and get water anymore. That's that's all she's seeing. Jesus is trying to get her past this. Now, if you ask a question after prompting, it will not yield the greater result, but it will satisfy many as if it were. If you ask a question after prompting, it's kind of like this husbands, your wife comes in, you know, gonna got a new haircut. Wife comes in, she's expecting you to notice and say something. Right? How many been there? hmm And uh, we don't always notice. We don't always uh, think about that. But we're, we're expecting that. And so after a while of us not noticing, what does the wife say? You like my hair? Aren't you going to make a comment about my hair? Aren't you going to say something about my hair? Now it's prompted. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It looks nice. It looks nice. Now, how many know you don't get as many points for that comment as you would if you noticed it on your own. My wife went out to get her hair cut this week. And she uh, came back on in, and you know we immediately got going and stuff. She said, you didn't say anything about my hair. I said, oh. <laughs> so I quickly looked at her and said, well, you have it all up? I can't tell. And she said, no, they, they had me for a wrong appointment. I didn't get a cut today. <laughs> but, but women, you know that you like the, the compliment to come unprompted. Now Jesus has already had a prompter for this question. Does that mean that she still gets to ask the question and get it? Daniel was not prompted in his question. He saw something in the word and he asked. He did that in chapter 9, did that in chapter 10. You won't get the same results if God has to prompt you for the questions that you will if you Learn and find out and ask the question on your own. Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Many of our questions for God are selfish. We tend to have a very selfish relationship with God. As long as my needs are met, as long as I'm happy, as long as I have the finances that I need, as long as I'm healthy and things aren't hurting and things are going good and I'm not sick, then then we're okay and we don't necessarily need to pursue anything. But to capture our interest, we need to be motivated by some kind of personal gain. It would seem to be that most Christians, we're not talking about heathen, it seems that most Christians, in order to captivate their attention to pursue a matter, there needs to be some kind of personal gain. I didn't get to put this in your outline, I'm pretty sure. But I'll ask you this question. How many people in the Bible were so captivated by what a question's answer will bring in benefit to the kingdom of God that they would suffer great personal loss, severe inconvenience, and terrible trauma to get it. How many people can you think of in the Bible who are so enamored by what the answer to a question would bring for the kingdom of God that they would Endure these things. How many people can you count? How much personal sacrifice did Ezekiel go through to get the answers for the kingdom? How about Jeremiah? How much personal sacrifice did Daniel go through to get questions answered that would benefit the kingdom of God? How much personal sacrifice did Moses make to go before the presence of God to get answers that would benefit the people of Israel. Now, if you go going through the Bible, in fact, if you do that, going home today, just start in the book of Genesis and just keep on reading till you get to Revelation. <laughs> and see how many people had this kind of dedication. When you find them, how did God deal with them? How did God deal with those people who would endure any amount of persecution, any amount of trauma, any amount of inconvenience in order to get what the kingdom of God needed regardless of whether they needed it or not. Did Paul do that? Boy, did Paul ever do that. The disciples, once uh, Jesus ascended, they, they really grew quite quickly, spiritually. They did it. In fact, every single one of them, except John, lost their life for the the cause. And as we've said before, it's not that they didn't try and kill John. It just wasn't successful. They couldn't kill him, so they decided to put him on that island. So Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, now it might seem Jesus is going natural here, but he's not. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. In other words, she's living with a guy, they're not married, and Jesus says, that's not your husband. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. (laughs) I perceive, let's change the topic, we're getting a little too personal over here, messing in my business, I think that you're a prophet. Now, there's no effort on the part of this woman. She wants to reap what she hasn't sown on the basis of what she she's, um, she's asked to be given. I just want to ask to get this. I just want to ask to get this living water. I just want to ask to get it so I don't have to do something anymore. There's no effort on her part. I just want to be the receiver. Anybody ever know people who just are always wanting to receive? Always wanting to receive, never wanting to give. So, after all these probing discussions, some life events, she has a perception. I perceive that you are a prophet. She says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So she decides here's a here's a way we can distract this. This is always a point of contention, because there's a huge point of contention between Samaritans and the Jews, because the Jews say, Jerusalem, this is where you gotta go. Samaritans, we don't we don't control Jerusalem. We don't want to go down that area. So we're going to go over here. We like this area better. This is in our territory. So we picked this one. And so they had a contention on this. And they felt like it was more anointed to worship God here. Other Jews, they know it's more anointed to worship God down here. So she says, let's just bring this discussion. This guy seems to know it all. Let's just ask him, where should we worship? And Jesus says, look, time is coming when you're neither going to worship God there, and you're not going to worship God here. But he's taking what is natural. See, that is a natural question. Where do we worship God? It's a natural question. Jesus is trying to bring along a spiritual truth. First off, he's trying to bring along the spiritual truth, living water, not regular water, living water. Not a well, a fountain that springs up on the inside of you and feeds you, gives you the water. And now he's telling her location is not important. What is important is how you worship. The day is coming. The day will come. And this is how worship is going to be. Oh, that has clued her in on something. She has she has found something that she can hone in on here. Now this is likely a question that she has some interest in, but not enough to study it on her own. She takes an easy way out. She could have studied this on her own she could have gone to the Bible and studied it out there's a lot of times people ask you questions that they have an interest in but truly all they have is uh, I got enough interest there but not enough interest to make me go and study it. I just just give me the answer just give me the answer I have an ans- I have an interest in getting the answer I don't have an interest in learning how to get the answer It's kind of like those math problems. you ever remember those math problems? Show your work. I want to show my work. I want to show my answer. I got the answer. Here's the answer. No, show your work. Why do I have to show the work? I got the answer. Because the teacher wants to make sure that the process that you got to get to the answer is the right process. Show your work. That's stupid. I shouldn't have to show my work. I should be able to just show my answer. That's what you want. You want the answer? Here's the answer. We want to get to the end part. No, you gotta do the, the homework. You gotta figure out not just what the answer is, you gotta figure out how you can get that answer. Now when people get lazy like this, I don't wanna do the research, I just wanna hear the answer. Just give me the answer. When people do this, they are just as likely to reject a true answer as to accept a false one. They want an answer that agrees with them or makes them happy. So Jesus brings this back to the worshiper. This sets up a question for her about Messiah. Verse 25. Then the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. I know that Messiah is coming. See, they're looking for Messiah. They're Samaritans. They've corrupted the the, uh, the Jewish faith a bit, but they're still looking for Messiah. I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Well, he does not give that revelation to too many people, does he? At this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. So here's another situation. The disciples are saying, I'd like to, I'd like to know... Um, why are you talking about, I like to have that, ask that question. John, you ask the question. I'm not going to answer that question. Peter, you ask that question. I, you know what happened when I asked a question before. You really got mad at me. I'm not asking the question. Bartholomew, you ask it. I'm not asking that question. Matthew, you do it. He likes you. <laughs> and they go back and forth. Everybody wants the answer, but no one wants to ask the question. So they're thinking these questions, but they're not asking it. So then this woman, she goes into the city, tells the men, she doesn't tell the women. Most times women go into the city, who they talk to? They talk to the women. And the woman will go home and they talk to their husbands, and then everybody comes on out. She don't do that. She goes over and she talks to the men. Why? Because the women despise her. Whatever, we don't know exactly what her background was. Whatever it was, uh, the women don't like it. Now how many of you all know there's are some, some women that can live a certain way? And other women I don't like that woman, get her away from me. But the guys just don't have any problem with it. So she went over to the guys, hey. I found somebody who told me everything I ever did. Now some of those guys are probably saying, Well, I could tell you that too. <laughs> some of them might be thinking that. But this is somebody who never met her, and it impressed them so that they came on out. And they came on out to Jesus. Now it said that she left her water pot. So look at this. She left her water pot. This is this is huge. It's written in the Bible for a reason. These things are not just thrown in there. She left her water pot. She came to the well with what? Her water pot. She left without it. That tells you something. First, she came with one purpose. The purpose was get the water. She left with a different purpose. She did not leave with the same purpose that she came to the well with. She left with a different purpose because she left the water pot there. This is what it also tells you. This tells you that she's planning on coming back. You don't leave your water pot at the well and then just go home and hope it's there the next day. You leave to come back. I can get back faster if I don't have the water pot. The way I see most pictures, the water pot, a pot on this side, a pot on this side, on a rod, they're tied on there, and you just kind of carry them on the on the pole, and uh, you can get back a whole lot of fish. They're not carrying nothing. We're not talking water pot. We're Not talking. That's not going to get you through for very long. We're talking big water pots. So she left them there. Run on back. Get the men. Come on out. So the men don't come on. Follow her, and they come on out. So she returns with the others. So she came with the purpose of getting water for her, her household. She left with the purpose of spreading the word and bringing people back. So look at this. I I see this and I just get amazed at this woman. This woman who has been nothing but selfish, nothing but self-seeking, nothing but lazy in the area of asking questions. Uh, Just give me whatever it is you're going to give me. Just give me the water so I don't have to come and do this anymore. Just do this for me. I don't want to do anything. Uh, what mountain should we worship on? I don't want to do the research. You just tell me which mountain should we search on. If I like the answer, if you say, if you agree with me and like my mountain, then great. If you say that mountain's better, well, then forget you. And she's ready to just this, this, all that stuff. And she goes from that to all of a sudden, other people need to hear Jesus. How do you get so, so selfless all of a sudden? All of a sudden, I'm going to pick up this purpose and she goes. This is important to know because it's going to explain something in this passage you may not have, you may have wondered about. You may have asked the question. Maybe you haven't formulated it. But we'll get there for that here in just a minute. We're almost to the end. So she goes, she gets them. It seems that Jesus didn't take hold or she feels it is too much for them. In her statement, when she says this, look at this. Some of the things Jesus said didn't take hold in her. When she goes to the men, what does she say? Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Is that what Jesus was talking about? In the discourse between Jesus and this woman, how much did that make up? A little bit at the end. What was Jesus mostly talking about? Living water. Fountains of living water. He's mostly talking about spiritual principles here. This is what she focused on. This is what she comes out there and she tells the men, come see a man who told me every, uh, things that I, all the things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Could this be the Christ? Maybe this. This is the man who told me these are the things I know to be true. I know these things were true and this man told me that they were so. How would he have known? She probably elaborated on that. I've never met this man. I don't know who this man is, but he came in and he told me about my five husbands. He told me about the man I'm living with. He probably, she probably elaborated it a little bit more. Could this be? All right, this part I know, this part I don't know. I've used that formula because that's a formula. I have used this formula very often. If I am listening to somebody and they are talking about something that I know, then I compare what they're saying to what I know. And if they're saying things that are contrary to what I know to be true, I'm a little suspect. Come on, aren't you that way too? I know that's not true. I know that's not true. We had a funeral this 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 uh, week. But I'll tell you, one place that you can see where people stand is at funerals. How many of y'all know it? I've been to many a funeral over my years. And uh, you get into a funeral and people come out with all kinds of ideas about God in funerals. And they start spouting them like they're so. I like to go up to some of them and say, where'd you base that on? Now, see, I know some things about my God. And if you're going to come in and tell me, you know, that God took little kids home and all those all those things that they do, trying to explain what they can't explain. And so they reach for all these explanations and they say all this sort of stuff. Um uh, no, if you're going to you're going to say stuff on what I don't know, I have to qualify you on what I do know. I did this for a particular guy when I was in college. We uh, we had to do this uh, course called World Religions, and um, one of the few professors in the in the school that I do remember, he was he was one um, uh, Reverend Fry, and he um, he was teaching this course. I can still remember being in class and hearing him teach some of this course. But he gave us this particular book. From this guy. And it is the uh, authority on world religions. It is a thick book. You can look up any world religion. It will tell you all kinds of stuff about it. I accepted what was in the book. As being factually true. Until he wrote another book. And in this book he wrote about different Christian leaders. Around the church current day. And put some of them in the category of cult put someone in the category of false teacher, and some of them I knew. Now, he took statements that I know none of those people made and said they said them. So, in me, this is the formula, this is way back 40-some years ago, I was using this exact same formula. If you speak to things that I know, and I can verify it's false, then if you speak to things that I don't know, How can I trust you on it? But if you speak the things that I know and verify that they're true, then I can probably listen to you on things that I don't know. Jesus spoke to her on things that she knew, her life. And she said, could this man be the Christ? Could this man be the Christ? So they said, let's go on out and hear him. Now, why would you be unwilling to ask a question? The disciples are still back over here. They're fellowshiping with Jesus. The woman's gone. They've got the food. They're talking with Jesus. No one wants to ask the question. No one wants to say stuff to them. They're all thinking it, but no one wants to say it. So I, I just asked myself this question. Why would you not ask a question? I had to strip all that out of your outline because there's no room for it. It's not a big deal if you want to write it down or you don't want to write it down. But I wrote down some reasons for it. I came up with five. You might come up with some more. First off, you feel like you should already know the answer and don't want to demonstrate ignorance. We already talked about that one. I already feel like I, sh- I feel like I should know this, but uh, I don't want to demonstrate ignorance. You know, if you if you ran into somebody and they're talking about some relative as if you know them, aren't you thinking I should know them? And I don't want to ask who because I don't want to demonstrate ig- ignorance on that. You feel like, here's the second one, you feel like you don't have a right to know the answer, but you want to anyway. You don't ask the question because I feel like I don't have the right to know the answer, but boy, do I want to know. Oh, I want to know. Oh, I want to ask this question, but I don't feel like I have the right. Third, you feel like you won't like the answer, so you don't ask. We might want to come in and say, Mom, can I have some cookies? I'm thinking, no, mom's just likely to say no. So how about if I just usurp them? If I just go in there and take the cookies and don't ask. Because if I ask and she says no, then I'm held under, the, under, under that. So you feel like you won't like the answer so you don't ask. Fourth, you feel like you will get more of an answer than you care to know. How many people have someone in your life that you no longer ask them, how you doing today? Because you will get more of an answer than you care to know. 30 minutes later, as they talk about all the aches and pains and things going on, the difficulties in their life, and you're thinking, I didn't sign up for this. I was just making talk. I was just uh, saying something. A lot of times, I just drop that out of my vocabulary. I don't say, how you doing today? I say, hi. (laughs) Hello. Good afternoon. Good morning. Or you could just be uh, like some people do. Uh, hey, how you doing today? Well, let me tell you. Uh, I really didn't care that much. I was just being nice. No, most people won't do that. Here's the fifth one. You just don't care enough about the answer to bother with the question. I re- I'm just not going to ask a question because I really don't care what the answer that is. Maybe you might ask the question, I wonder if it's going to rain today. Well, I have no plans on going outside. I don't care what it does today. Seldom is the reason I don't think I could understand the answer. Seldom is the reason, well, I would ask this question, but I don't think I could understand the answer. We mostly think, I can understand any answer. Verse 31. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat, of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? So here again, spiritual concept, natural understanding. Jesus says, I have food to eat, which you do not know. We're not talking natural food. They hear it natural. When the Bible speaks about spiritual things, if you hear natural things, you will not come out with the right meaning. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's my food. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the the, the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Now, how many have ever wondered, why does Jesus talk about harvest here? He he makes it even even crazier. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. Verse 38. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. What did Jesus do? I sent you to reap. They thought he sent them to go get food. He said, no, I didn't send you to get food. I sent you to reap. And then he starts talking about reaping what you have not sown. I sent you into a field to reap what others had sown. He hasn't openly rebuked them yet, but they're about to be. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. And so when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, but uh, for we ourselves have heard him and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. He sent them into the city. That city was ripe for a harvest. The disciples who had walked with Jesus walked into a city ripe for harvest, had their focus on the natural thing of getting food and never saw the spiritual harvest. Therefore, they never reaped it. It was there. But again, he didn't point it out. He didn't say go in there and get some souls. But... He wants them to be developed that they walk on in. And they, you know what? There's There are some things that are going on here. Let's, uh, let's invite some of them to come on back with us. They'll probably want to hear Jesus. But they didn't do that. Jesus sent them into a harvest and they came back with food. He sent them to get something spiritual and they came back with something natural. Now here's the thing. The woman went into the city and what did she come out with? When he's talking about this part of reaping where you have not sown, did this woman sow into this city? Absolutely not. Folks, she is living a life apart from the things of God. She's not sowing into this city. But she didn't let that disqualify her. And she walked right back into the city. And she said, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this possibly be the Christ? Now, Jesus had said he was, didn't he? Didn't he say, I am he? She didn't come in and say, he told me he's the Messiah. She said, this is what he did. Is it possible that he could be this? But she already believes him to be so. That's why she ran into the city, because she believes him to be so. And Jesus spent two days there. Instead of a pit stop for water and food, we stayed two days, and we got people born again, saved, ministered to, and they became believers in Messiah. What is supernatural and what is natural? There are many times that we ask supernatural questions and are satisfied with natural answers. We ask supernatural questions or we're satisfied with natural answers. How many people in the New Testament with Jesus, what must I do to be saved? And he had different answers along the lines of that. We're looking for something natural. The man who came to him, what must I do to be saved? He's looking for something natural. Give me something natural to do. And what Jesus told him, tug too much on the supernatural, on the the spiritual. Sell all that you got and and come follow me. Give it to the poor and come follow me. Oh, I can't do that. That's tugging on me spiritually. That's, I have a spiritual dependence on these things. Just give me something natural. Tell me, you know, what I can do. What I can stop doing. There are questions that require a spiritual answer. There are questions that desire a natural answer. answer. You've got to listen to God for it. You may, uh, don't raise your hand on this, but you should use your inside hand. How many people have something going on in your body you don't like? And in order to fix that, first off, there is a natural answer that you can have. Don't do this. Do do this. Pick this up. There's some things you can do in the natural. And so you can go to God and get a natural answer for what's going on in your body. And God may say, stop eating these things. Start eating these things. You know, if he comes to me and he says, Steve, I need you to start eating cooked cabbage. Get behind me, Satan. (laughs) I I know how to spot that. Um, But there's some natural things that you may be able to do just in your life. There are some natural things you can do in relationships. There's some natural things you can do to start putting yourself on the right path. You can go to God with a natural question and receive a natural answer. But you can also go to God with a spiritual question. And for that, you need to receive a spiritual answer. There are too many Christians out here. We are asking God supernatural questions, and we are receiving natural answers. The thing is, we're satisfied. We become satisfied with these supernatural questions being answered by natural things. They're not going to help you. Jesus said, I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. But the woman went back. Jesus didn't send her. Jesus didn't send her any more than he sent him, sent the disciples. But she came back with a harvest that she did not sow, but she reaped it. She pulled it in. She comes back and she gets the harvest that the disciples missed. She may have been living a sinful lifestyle. And like we said, she's not one of those who sowed into this field but she sure was able to get in there and to reap it. If that woman could go into a city, live in the lifestyle that she did, with everybody knowing she lived in the lifestyle that she did, and she reaped a harvest, how much more can we? Now, after two days, they believed in Jesus. Two days, Jesus stayed there, and they believed in Jesus. How many days did Jesus spend in other areas? Two, three years, some, some areas, ministering, and they still didn't believe. Two days, they believed. Let's get to the end here. Our questions need to be born of knowledge and understanding. Our questions need to be born of knowledge and understanding. Anything you're going to do in business, if you have knowledge and understanding, you can ask good questions and get good answers. If you don't have any knowledge or understanding, you're going to ask stupid questions. And there are plenty of stupid questions. And there's plenty of stupid people asking stupid questions and getting stupid answers. They're out there. Good questions come from knowledge and understanding. If our perception is off, our revelation will be too. How many times we're going to look more instances of this? The disciples perceived the wrong thing because they perceived the wrong thing. They got the wrong answer. They understood it incorrectly. The revelation they got was incorrect. Spiritual questions cannot be understood with natural answers, but such will satisfy many. Now, I put a quote in your bulletin today. It's mine. I had it in your outline. I took it out to get more room. But I couldn't find the right quote, so I just gave you one. My behavior is born out of my understanding of God. What you do, how you behave, is born out of how you understand God. His ways, His purpose, His will, His plan. So if Satan can corrupt your understanding, he corrupts your behavior. If Satan can corrupt your understanding, he will corrupt your behavior. You will behave wrong because you got the wrong belief. 1 Corinthians 2. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came in here determined, I'm only going to know, I'm I'm going to keep things in the spiritual realm here. I got to keep things in the spiritual realm. Now the whole passage, I gave you the whole passage, but I want to kind of get through this, this part. For what verse 11? Well, verse 10, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. The spirit of God searches God for the deep things, not the shallow things. The deep things. I get irritated by people who pass themselves off as ministers, by people who even pass themselves off as Christians that are giving these shallow meanings to things. Why did that baby die? Well, God needed him more than you did. What a garbage reason! What a lazy excuse for a question, or for an answer for a question. That's just stupid. Stupid people like that bother me. That's not in the Bible. Can't find it in the Bible. For what man knows, get, get into the Spirit. The Spirit of God searches the, the heart of God. He'll tell you some things are going on. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of a man which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. I sometimes question that when I look at some Christians and the way they're going about doing things. I think they have received the Spirit of the world, not the Spirit of God. You look at the Things that they're doing to each other. You look at the condemnation that they put down upon other believers. You look at the, they're not helping them overcome things in their past. They're not helping them grow. They're just putting them down. That's not the Spirit of God. That's the Spirit of the world. And they've accepted the wrong Spirit. But it says we have not received the Spirit of the world. We are to be different. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, not spiritual things with natural. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And if you want to see the foolishness of man demonstrated as the wisdom of God, just go to any funeral almost anywhere and listen to what's being said. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. If we have the mind of Christ, we ought to be getting in there and getting much better answers, asking much better questions, and learning a whole lot more about God instead of just wandering around here. Well, you just never know what God's going to do. If you were here on Wednesday, I told you that story. If you weren't here on Wednesday, you had to listen to it yourself. Go up online, you can listen to it. Told you that story that person my wife and I were listening to on the radio. Garbage, garbage, garbage. Oh, I'm tired of the garbage on Christian radio. And uh, he says if your curiosity is up, go up there and listen to it, it's up there. But people are saying things, natural thing, we're putting natural understanding onto spiritual, supernatural things, and we wonder why we get confused. I made this statement before to you. The book of Revelation is the easiest book in the Bible to understand. I've made that statement for years. You've been through the end times class, you know I've said it. Most people say, oh, so hard, so hard. No, it's not. I heard one person put it this way. It is so simple, you need a PhD to make it hard. (laughs) That's what they do. The book of Revelation is one of the easiest books in the Bible to understand. Well, I don't know about that. I've read it. That's because people have messed it up with you. They're trying to put natural things on the supernatural things, spiritual things, and you cannot do that. You've got to read the book of Revelation for what is spiritual and what is natural. If you do, it's a piece of cake to understand. It's really not hard at all. End times are not difficult to understand. That's why God said we write these things to you that may be encouraged. Would you all stand up with me? There are. There are questions that form inside each and every one of us. God wants you to have answers to those questions, but spend some time in it. God, I'm getting this question. I'm getting this question about some things about the kingdom of God. Um, but I want to. I want to study this thing up first. I want to. I want to get to know some things in your word. Can you steer me in the right direction? Take me in the right direction in your word. Lead me to some people who can teach me on this thing because I, I know I've got a question here. But I want to ask the. I want to ask the good question. I want to ask a question that's spiritual. I want to ask a question that has faith. I want to ask a question that's patience. I want to ask a question that's not dissatisfied with where I'm at. I want to ask a good question. And we'll pray to to God that way. And God begins to give you enlightenment. He begins to open up your eyes. Oh, I see that. I see that. Okay, now I'm ready for my question. God, how does this? And you ask the question. And then God, just like Daniel, sends the answer. Sends the answer. And it comes right there to you. Because you put, put some time in it weren't just lazy. Now, God, you can see in this story, God will put up with some laziness in our getting our questions going. But he saw some progress. All of a sudden, this woman changed. And Jesus said, I knew that was in her. And she goes running back to do what the disciples who've been following Jesus for all this time didn't do. She did it. She got it done. Father, I thank you for the questions that brew on the inside of us. Questions That want to understand questions where we want to grow questions that help us to understand you better, to learn your ways to see your purpose and your will. And the questions that we have on the inside help us to develop those questions and ask them from a point of knowledge and understanding. Just like you said with the messenger that came to Daniel make him understand you will do things to help us to understand the enemy is always telling us you well, you can't know the things of God you can't know what God is doing God's ways are higher than your ways you just can't know but God we can and your word is filled with people who pressed in to know what it was that you were doing because you want us to know what you're doing in our life what your plan is for our life where you are directing us, how we can press into you to get things for your kingdom so that our questions are not selfish questions like this woman's were in the beginning, but our questions begin to become, what can we do for the kingdom? And what can I bring in for the kingdom of God? I thank you for the way that you help us. It don't take, have to take that long. We can see in this story that this one woman in this very short time went from being selfish in her questions Going out and seeking the kingdom of God. What a change. In such a brief period of time, what a change. If she could change that quick, we can too. I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, glory to God. I hope you enjoyed looking at that. There's so many questions in the Word of God. We're going to be looking at a number. I'm not going to look at all of them. We're going to look at a lot. We have a video teaching coming out tomorrow. Brother Hagan is teaching.